0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of vegan proteins muscles by Brussels radio. My name is Danny and I'm Giacomo and this is our 40th episode.
1: I gotta tell you Danny I have been really really Interested in seeing how your contest prep will continue to unfold. It's been such a wild ride for you
0: I mean it hasn't it hasn't in some ways it has been like the weirdest contest prep ever But in other ways, it's been the most chill contest prep ever Uh, So it's been just about six months. I'm starting my third diet break today actually, which I'm very excited about so over the course of the I guess almost six months, 25 weeks, I believe it's been so far. About four, between four to five of those weeks haven't been in a diet. So it's actually only been about 20 weeks of actual dieting. Um, And because they've been spaced out up until this last few weeks, it really hasn't been that hard in terms of adherence, uh, like sticking to the macros, being hungry, low energy, like those things haven't Uh, Happened until dun 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 a couple of weeks ago when you saw it hit me kind of like a brick wall I mean two out of 25 weeks like I'll take that and now we have a 10-day diet break and then after that I believe comes the final leg of this contest prep where we are for sure going to hit it pretty hard and Hopefully have a decent competition season my shoulder I got a cortisone and anti-inflammatory shot under x-ray in my shoulder and it has made my shoulder about 80% better over the last couple of weeks. So what that means is hopefully I won't have to do bikini, hopefully I will actually be able to do figure. Um, I made a whole YouTube video about that cortisone shot uh, and my frozen shoulder and all of that jazz. but. Now that my shoulder is about 80% better, it's clear to me that that shoulder has also shrunk. So now I have this left-to-right imbalance that I'm going to take this diet break, eating, you know, over 2,000 calories for the next 10 days, and I am going to work the shit out of it and try to, like, re-pump it back up full of glycogen and all of that jazz so that hopefully uh, I don't look lopsided on stage. That's really the only... It's really the only hurdle that I foresee from here to not being able to come back better than I did in 2015. And it's a big hurdle. It's a pretty big hurdle. But if I can get my conditioning to be better, hopefully that will make up a tiny bit for a a small imbalance in my shoulder.
1: Yeah, I mean a portion of your conditioning is going to be dependent on how much muscle you can maintain on your frame which obviously is dependent on how you can train your that side of your body to keep symmetrical. Symmetry has always been your strong point. Outside of that, I agree that your dieting down has been incredibly chill and successful because the less stressful your dieting down is, the more body fat that you're going to shed, Like the more easily it's going to happen, ultimately the more conditioned you become, and the more sane you'll be, as sane as anyone can be, deep, deep, deep into a contest prep. But outside of that is the part that was like, got me constantly on the edge of my seat. Like, how is Danny going to continue to keep this moving target of like, what's the end result of when she steps on stage? Is she gonna see this vision through? There's so many uncertain variables. Like, I feel like every other prep, both you and I have been on, there's just, there's been like a clear end goal in sight. We've worked towards it and that's been it. Like whatever it is, it is. You know, but now it's like there's just so like the prep itself just keeps evolving over weeks and months, and it's, it's admirable to me to see you be able to power through all of that. Because as you know, when you're when you're dieting hard like that, you just you can't think straight sometimes, and it seems like you just you got a good head on your shoulders, and uh, and that's pretty cool. And it's definitely been a very the most interesting prep to date. For me, like from an outsider's perspective, watching it unfold
0: Well, thanks uh, i've actually for the most part i've really really enjoyed this prep. The only real uh wrench in the works has been this stupid, stupid shoulder, and it's a pretty i mean shoulders are arguably the most important body part in figure competitions so and it's one of my stronger body parts generally, so to see it just kind of deflate, and I'm hoping that's exactly what happened, is that it deflated, like it just doesn't have the glycogen in it because I haven't really been able to use it lately. So that's been kind of depressing and you know, a bit of a bummer, but I do hope that over the next 10 days, I will be able to just sort of re-inflate it. Like, I don't think that I really lost a lot of muscle or strength, but I think that when you don't use a muscle, It doesn't need to store a bunch of of nutrients. It doesn't really partition your nutrients to the muscles you're not using. So hopefully being able to use it a lot more over the next 10 days in a caloric surplus will hopefully just kind of fill it back up a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see. But as of yesterday, I started actually looking at shows from the end of July on, which means once this diet break is over, uh, I assume we're going to hit it pretty freaking hard for the six weeks that follow that and just you know sort of let the chips fall where they may and I will just keep competing as long as I keep feeling and looking good so we'll see what happens
1: yeah I guess a little bit of real talk before we move on I guess my question to you is what what is your main motive for making sure that no matter what happens you see this prep through because there have been many times throughout this contest prep that you've considered pulling out because of the, the limitations, because of your frozen shoulder, the uncertainty, the timeline, like, you know, is was it stubbornness? Was it the fact that you haven't competed a while? Is it time to represent again? I mean, like, I know those aren't, those are like kind of the things that I'm wondering if they've kind of skewed your judgment, but what's once they haven't skewed your judgment, you figured out like, hey, I believe that the time is now to not pull out of this prep and to start another one next year. What what caused you to make that decision to see this through? Like, seriously, I really, I want to know.
0: Well, first of all, I had intended to compete last year. I had intended to compete in 2017, which would have given me a year and a half of an offseason, which would have been sufficient to make improvements. Um, but because that year was just so full of tragedy, I didn't make the improvements that I wanted to make. And I decided very quickly, like, no, I'm not, I'm not like mentally in the headspace to be dieting right now. Like I was digging my heels in and, and sort of resenting my diet within a couple of weeks. And that was, to me, that was a clear sign that like, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. But now this year I feel like, although yeah, the tragedies continued to carry on and it's just kind of been like, well, you know, life is going to keep happening. And there's nothing I can do about it. And if I just keep waiting for everything to be perfect, I'm never going to do this. And at this point, it's been a three-year off-season. Two two and three quarters. It's been a long off-season of working really, really hard and making a lot of improvements. And more than anything, I feel like I've never... I, I Mentally, the dieting is always the hardest part, right? It's always the hardest part, I think. Um, and it hasn't been hard literally at all until this past week. This past week was the first time in almost six months that I've felt myself sort of reaching for food past what my macros allowed. But I mean, it took almost six months to get to that place where a lot of people are a couple of weeks into their competition prep. And I attribute that to a lot of reasons. Um, This prep is just outlined in a way that I think is better suited to me personally. But also that I did, I've done a lot of work on my own relationship with food over the past several years. And I finally feel like I'm in a place where food has, I don't want to say food has no power over me, but it has very little power over me compared to how it used to. And I just, you know, I I love the coach I'm working with. I love the experience of working with him and I loved the approach that I knew we were going to take. And because if at the end of the day, if I wasn't even able to step on stage, which I am going to be able to, (laughs) thankfully, but if I hadn't, then I would've just had a really badass photo shoot and maybe several badass photo shoots. And that would, you know, that's always helpful when you work in this industry to have like new sets of pictures where you look really damn good. But outside of that, like, I just felt like it was time to see where I could take my body mentally while keeping myself, I'm sorry, take my body physically while keeping myself mentally like one hundo all the way through. So
1: that's pretty cool. You know, you you did a lot of mental work and you really wanted to see that through and, and see where you could take it. That's, that's really neat. And, uh. You know, knowing knowing you as well as I know you where you take risks but you don't take like very They're calculated big risks. risks. Yeah, <laughs> and this was not a calculated risk. Like remember when we got into the, the orthopedic's office and they were like, Hey, this thing could like go away in six months, it could go away in three years. Like that's not calculated and the fact that you went for it, that's pretty neat.
0: Meh, what do I have to lose? No. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, anyway. This,
0: this, is a, this is a real juicy podcast we have for you guys, and that's actually why it's coming out a week later than we intended. Is simply because, like, it's a delicate topic, and it's one we've wanted to talk about for, pff, I don't know, well over a year at least. But it's a difficult topic, and we weren't really sure how to approach it. Um, but here we go. This topic needs to be broached, and, and, and we're going to do it. We're going to talk about steroids We're gonna talk about steroids in bodybuilding, we're gonna talk about steroids in veganism, and we are going to just dive right on in.
1: Yeah, you know what, this really is a delicate topic and something that I have been interested in since I was fourteen years old, actually. Like since before I even started lifting weights. Because when I grew up, the steroid culture uh, amongst my peers was pretty aggressive, you know, and I would I, I would go into class, and I'd hear my friends talking about how they were going to start doing a cycle here and there, and I don't know, three to eight weeks later, they would come in, and they would look like different people, unrecognizable, like their entire bodies changed, and I was like, damn, that is crazy. Um, but, I think
0: it's important before we actually uh-huh. get into this topic to explain we are in no way, shape, or form steroid experts, performance-enhancing drug experts, like... In all truth, we know very, very little about performance-enhancing drugs. We're both natural athletes. I think we're both lifetime natural athletes. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do any of those pro hormones?
1: <laughs> well, when pro hormones were legal.
0: Okay, so we'll get into that. Uh huh. All right, we're gonna get into yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> but that, that's what I, so I've. I've never taken anything from the banned substance list ever. But if you actually look at the banned substance list, it's enormous. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things on there. So a lot of times when people think steroids, they think it is like, I will take a steroid. And it is like the steroid. It's like the marijuana. It's like the steroid. You know what I mean? But it's it's not really like that. There's so many different kinds of performance enhancing Uh, steroids, hormones, fat burners, recovery tools, like there's a million different ways to take performance enhancing drugs. So, I mean, sometimes you have to be careful even as a natural athlete that maybe a prescription that your doctor prescribed isn't on the banned substance list. I have actually had a client who is natural bikini competitor and she failed a drug test because she was on spiral dactone, which her doctor had prescribed her for her acne, because it's a banned substance. Because some people use it as a diuretic. So, my my point here is there's there's a lot of different ways to uh, to not be considered a natural athlete. Um, and uh, yeah, Giacomo and I don't we don't we couldn't possibly know everything about all those things. So, this is going to be a much more general conversation about the topic of steroids within the bodybuilding and within the vegan communities. Let's begin with the fact that you and I are not judging anybody. It is your body, it is your choice to do with it whatever you want, and we really, really believe that. Just because we have chosen to be natural does not mean that we in any way, look down on people who have chosen a different route.
1: You know, and I feel like that is not necessarily the consensus. We, we're in a community that is, uh, large, I mean, entirely based on ethics, like on the whole veganism Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people definitely have strong opinions about the best way to represent veganism. And I feel like it's been, I feel like. In the recent years, people have been a lot more flexible, understanding like, hey, someone's decision to not exploit or consume animals, uh, you know, maybe maybe we don't necessarily align with their standpoint, the way that they're doing things, representing, but we will support them. What I'm saying is like, you have some people in the vegan community that literally get upset if they think that someone representing veganism is using steroids.
0: So we all want to see veganism represented as best as possible but there's so many different ways to do that and a lot of times we can get stuck in our own way of representing veganism or representing health or representing fitness and and our way isn't necessarily going to reach everybody so we need to sort of respect that there are other ways to reach people. And you see this in all kinds of activism. You see the super passive sunshine and rainbows activism. You see the, hey, look at what's going on inside of slaughterhouses activism. You say the, hey, look at what my muscles can build on plants activism. And, um, and and everything in between and none of them are wrong. Correct. Because every one of them is going to you know get new people to be interested in what we are trying to promote here, which is a lifestyle that doesn't. Uh, use animals
1: okay and the elephant in the room is that there are in fact vegan bodybuilders who use steroids
0: and this is something that nobody wants to talk about or like knows how to talk about
1: well wait a minute hold up it's not that the community doesn't know how to talk about it it's that no one is talking not even the people who are using steroids exactly are talking
0: about it. yeah i think Why? you're so well Ugh. there's so many reasons that like <laughs> This is so difficult to talk about in a way that isn't just like a jumbled mess. Uh, And Giacomo and I have these conversations together and alone so frequently. So here's the thing. The bodybuilders at the top, like the IFBB, you know, going to the Olympia, bodybuilding category, we all understand. I think even people that don't know anything about fitness understand, hey, those people are using drugs.
1: Like you mean no one's questioning if Phil Heath has used steroids before? I'm
0: pretty sure (laughs) like even some random person off the street would be able to tell that. Okay. But I would argue that almost all of the bodybuilders at that level from figure on up have, have used something that would be on the banned substance list. And that's a generalization. And there could totally be outliers that maybe aren't. Um, I've, I've heard of a few, um, and I know of a few personally. So this isn't saying if you are IFBB, you are taking steroids. That's not true. Um, but it's mostly
1: true. What also is true because I've looked at the contract myself, and it is clearly expressed in the contract, with the, even on an amateur level, on the NPC level to IFBB and beyond. You literally cannot talk about the fact that you use steroids. If you do, you cannot compete. Be, why? Because steroids, from a legality standpoint, they're you know you can't consume; they're illegal. You can be prosecuted for using steroids. Yes,
0: yeah, people go to jail. Uh, Victor Martinez mm-hmm. was in jail. He's like one of the top 10 bodybuilders in the entire world he's done time more than once just for having steroids okay
1: so regardless let's say you have a doctor who knows how to write the right kind of scripts to, like give you as many steroids as your heart can desire still it's it's odd it's it's weird because like in that regard you're doing something that's completely legal however they, the NPC and the IFBB do not want it to be associated with it. They do not want to paint right. that picture. So, so they refuse.
0: So it's this weird situation where you are, on one hand, encouraged and rewarded for the results you get from taking performance-enhancing drugs. And on the flip side of that, never fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. Never mention it. Because it makes the NPC and the IFBB looks, look bad. Uh, Sponsors don't want to sponsor somebody who's open about their drug abuse. So on a personal level, it can financially hurt you to talk about taking performance-enhancing drugs. And it's illegal! So there are a lot of reasons why people don't talk about this. And I don't fault anybody for not talking about it. Like, it's dangerous for an athlete to talk about it. And I have a lot of respect for the handfuls of them that do talk about it really, really openly and if you go on youtube you'll find a lot of a lot of people that are more than happy and willing to talk about it cuz they're not competing in the IFBB or the NPC they're just they're just people who take cycles and are really impressive athletes but they aside from the legality they have no reason to not talk about it and they share their experiences with others to help people make the right choices for them in the least damaging ways possible, Go on. Um, but like John Meadows talks openly about um, his steroid use. Uh, Mark, Lobliner. Uh, Mark, Mark Lobliner talks pretty openly about, you know, what, what he says is like, what happens between me and my doctor is between me and my doctor. And I mean, hello, <laughs> that's, that's what that means. So and I think that is, like, so, so incredible that there are some people out there that have the hoods, but actually talk about it. But there's lots of reasons why people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. And when I was younger and a, a starry-eyed uh, wannabe fit chick, I would look at these women and I would be like, wow, one day I'm going to look like that. And Giacomo, having grown up like in a, I don't know, steroid culture, for lack of a better word, would look at me and he would just be like, honey, that's not possible naturally. And I would be like, nah, it is. That person's natural. They totally said they're natural and I completely <sighs> believe it. And I'm talking about the women on the cover of Oxygen Magazine, like who have actually been airbrushed to be softer than they are in person which I only realized when I met some of them in person. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's that's not achievable naturally once I actually met them in person. Um, and it took several years to start to realize, you know, what is and isn't achievable naturally. And it, I mean, I'll be honest, it kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit um, because I did think that certain things were possible that, Maybe are possible for some, but probably weren't going to be possible for me as a former obese girl. um, I was probably
1: never going to look like Nicole Wilkins circa 2014. You see, and I think (laughs) (laughs) to me, this is the biggest gripe that I have. Not with the people who use steroids, with the culture and fitness in general. The fact that it's it's swept under the rug because, you know, morality aside, because like I said, it's your body, your choice. It's the, I mean, more than anything for me, it's the fact that it really skews people's perception of their own image and what they can do with their body when they see these larger-than-life characters out there achieving. And I don't mean like the people who are taking like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month worth in steroids because those are the people who make it to Olympia on top of the fact they're genetically busted. Like, they exist on all levels, people who use steroids mm-hmm. recreationally right. aggressively I mean and even it's like, at our
0: own gym yeah. at our own gym that we go to that costs us you know fifteen dollars a month for a membership that's still loaded with uh people men and women who use various degrees of performance enhancing uh supplements, so mm-hmm. to speak uh and it is it's it's hard because you You never know. I mean, there are some things that could be considered like a dead giveaway, but here's the point at the end of the day. You never know. You just never know. Um, And that crosses the lines between vegan and non-vegan athletes, which brings us to the big topic within our own community is like, you know, you see uh, an article go viral. And it's like, look at all these vegan bodybuilders and what they're able to do. And you go to the comment section and comment after comment after comment is like, oh, well, are steroids vegan? Like, yeah, anybody can look like that if they take steroids, 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 accusations. And oftentimes the people in the article, like we know a lot of them personally. And we know, you know, that most of them are are natural. And we know that, like for 100% certainty, you know, having like lived in close proximity to many of them, trained with many of them regularly. So as a vegan, you want to be like, hey, they're natural. They're 100% natural. But the fact is that not everybody, not all of the vegan bodybuilders are necessarily natural. And this isn't a bad thing. So we are 100% not about to go on a non-natty witch hunt. That is never going to happen from us. I could give two shits about who is using steroids and who isn't and who's like, who looks questionable and who doesn't. Like, I don't care. And you probably shouldn't care either because in terms of veganism and activism, we need and want and should have vegans representing in all arenas from, you know, your local natural show that gets 20 competitors all the way up to the Olympia stage. We want people everywhere. But the knee jerk reaction is always to say, well, they're natural. They don't take drugs. They're vegan. They only eat plants. And when your immediate reaction is to say that, it often kind of makes us look stupid. Like we're just so naive. And I get it because I was that naive.
1: You know, I don't know that people are trying to stick up for veganism in, in essence, like, hey, you can do this on plants only, no steroids. I think people just want to feel that they can relate to these, these fitness icons within their community. And if you're choosing to remain natural and you want to look up to somebody, you just immediately assume like, oh, I can do that because they're doing it and they're vegan, you know, but not realizing that, yeah, everyone's approach is different and they may not be natural.
0: It's a really hard thing. I mean, I, I still think it's a hard thing to kind of walk that line when some random person asks me at a, Expo, for example, like, what do you say to the people that say vegan bodybuilders are on steroids? My answer, some of them probably are. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Some of them probably are, but it's not nearly as many people as the general non-vegan population thinks. And I feel like there's a huge double standard here because when you see a Phil Heath, or Kai Green, The comment section there isn't like, well, steroids did that. It's usually like, wow, what a beast, what a monster. It's like when they are not vegan, we just accept the fact that these people are probably using steroids, but it's their hard work in the gym that got them to look like that. Like, I'm not saying they don't work hard, but we've talked about like what testosterone injections can do for somebody on this podcast before and we'll talk about it again in a little bit but when they're non-vegan we just accept that they're some kind of superhero when they're vegan and they look like that well it's just got to be the drugs they're taking and that's ridiculous that's so ridiculous whether someone you know the whole point is like this person can achieve this incredible feat On the same playing field as all these other people, doing the same things that all these other people are doing, and they're not eating meat or dairy or animal products. Like, that's incredible, and we should be applauding that. Not like, oh, well, this person sucks because they chose to take steroids. Like, let people represent in the way they want to represent.
1: So, here's the way that I see it. Here is what I think the difference is. Okay, on the whole, like, representing. A plant-based diet is freaking awesome, like someone can achieve something on a plant-based diet, it's great. But when I think of someone representing veganism, I think of someone representing a lifestyle, making a conscious choice to live compassionately and to do as little harm as possible. And here's the difference. When someone takes the route where steroids becomes their main catalyst for change, yeah, I mean it's good that they're consuming a plant-based diet because it's it's the the most healthy way to do something with inevitable health risks. But the diet is not necessarily what's escalating them in their, you know, in their chosen way of going about it. It's the synthetic steroids, which are also by the way vegan. Yes, I know, crazy as it sounds. Wait, I've
0: always wondered about this. Are they
1: I mean, as vegan I mean, as like, I know
0: that the te- I know test like testosterone shots are generally synthetic, but I'm sure there are some that aren't vegan.
1: Uh, I don't know I mean, enough about it.
0: I don't either. So to answer the actual question, are steroids vegan? Jacques Mo and my answer would be like, I don't know. I think so.
1: I don't know. <laughs> but this is one of those great areas where it's like, unfortunately, we live in a society and a world where, in order for a drug to to be approved, it it had to be tested on animals. It's it's like. You try to do as little harm as possible. Are you not going to take an NSAID when you're in pain to bring your inflammation out? No, you probably are. Has it been tested on animals before, that drug? Yes. So, I mean, but that aside, you're right. Like, there may be... I feel like all steroids are synthetic. I, I mean, have no idea. Anyway. I have so no we, idea. We, like we said, we don't know enough on this subject. But obviously, there are vegan steroids. <laughs> but my point here is that the <laughs> the... To me, it's like these larger-than-life icons are representing a lifestyle, not a plant-based diet. They're, and that's okay with me. I'm okay with that.
0: So I guess the the takeaway from this particular part would be, like, it's their body and it's their choice. And if someone is not outwardly proclaiming that they are using or juicing or whatever, don't even... It's not even worth the personal attack. Like, it's not even worth it. They have valid reasons for not talking about it, for not being able to talk about it. And unless someone comes out and says, I'm 100% natural, which is a whole other thing, that, that pisses me off. Those people (laughs) piss me off. Um, But if someone just isn't saying anything at all, just... Let, let Know that people have their own reasons and just let it be and just be thankful that we do have vegans representing in all of these different arenas. They, These people might make more change towards veganism than any one of us. So just keep that in mind. Like, is it the way you would do it? No, maybe not. But that doesn't, it's not your life. So.
1: You know, I'm not trying to diminish what you just said, but I am going to challenge it. Uh, the people that you hate, you hate when they say that they're all natural, but they take steroids. What do you do? Here's a, a, a hypothetical question of sorts, but also a moral dilemma. What do you do if you sign a contract saying that basically we're not going to like test you for steroids, but you can't talk about it, or you can't compete with us? What do you do when so- uh, the media interviews you and says, are you natural? How do you answer that question?
0: Well, first of all, I mean, I don't see that happening very often. I don't see news media interviewing somebody and being like, yeah, but do you take drugs? Like I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm not seeing it happen very often. Jack is making a face like he does see it happen very Thank often. You. Not so very often. I have it seen has Okay, so I saw this <laughs> one interview years ago with Dana Lynn Bailey, DLB, who uh she's not vegan, but her husband is vegan now, which is super rad. Um, But she is mostly plant-based, take that for whatever it means, and I remember the interview, the interviewer did ask her something like that, something along the lines of, do you take X, Y, or Z, and her coach stepped in and said, she doesn't even take aspirin, and that's when I was like all right then okay we're gonna do this and it was one of those instances where it's like very very obvious that this is not achievable with uh just hard work um but there they were saying that she didn't even take an aspirin which didn't outright answer the question do you take this or that it was just i don't even take aspirin so i mean I think it's a tough situation for the athlete to be in, and I do think there are, like, ways around it. But it's it's when people either come right out and say, I'm a 100% natural athlete, and it's like, you know that they're not. Or at least you're pretty sure that they're not. That's mm. kind of shitty. But the super, 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 super duper shitty thing, which I have never seen, by the way, thank God, um, is I've never seen within the vegan community, is when a non-natural person goes and tries to compete in a natural show hmm. if you are using performance if you are knowingly using performance enhancing drugs and you go and compete in a natural competition i think you're a piece of shit personally
1: well here's the thing <laughs> we are fortunate in our main chosen sport of bodybuilding to have two sanctioned organizations or i say i should say different organizations sanctioned organizations where there is a drug tested bodybuilding world in a non-drug-tested bodybuilding world. Unfortunately, when it comes to pretty much every other sport in the world, they don't they don't really exist. Like to get to the top, to get to the elite, like you're you're dealing with a playing field that isn't level and you're probably not gonna be there whether it comes to cycling, crossfit, power lifting. Like I've had these conversations with these elite lifters and it's kind of like one of those things that just isn't spoken. It's like, well, these people just have to like test clean and that's all we really give a shit about mm-hmm. in bodybuilding. Cause it's the only arena that exists in bodybuilding. There are two separate arenas. We are very, very fortunate in this sport.
0: Yeah. So, but that's what I'm saying is like in other sports, but outside of bodybuilding, you compete where you compete. You're probably going to go up against people on drugs, right? It's going to happen. Um, in bodybuilding, if you are natural and you choose to compete in untested events, more power to you. We totally have friends that do that. And I have like nothing but the utmost respect for them because they are going up against, they are walking into an unlevel playing field knowingly, deliberately. They have chosen to go up against harder competition and like, wow, that's awesome to me. Um, it, if, however, if you're the person who is using performance-enhancing drugs and choosing to go be uh, the big fish in the small pond, so to speak, and go compete in in natural-tested events where you take a polygraph that says I didn't take any of these things, you suck. Like, what a shitty, shitty thing to do. I'm sorry. I mean, luckily, like I said, I, I've seen this happen, but never with an ac- never with a vegan. Like, I've I've never seen a vegan actually do this. So. Yay! (laughs) That's exciting. Um, But I have definitely seen people be disqualified from natural shows um, for cheating, essentially. That's cheating. Uh, No two ways about it. But I want to take this whole thing and I want to flip it around, all right? I want to take this whole discussion and I want to flip it on its head because I feel like once you know, once you realize how many people there are taking performance-enhancing drugs? Like I mentioned, the wind got sucked out of my sails, right? Do you think we generally let that get the better of us and feel like, well, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be able to compete with this person because they're using and I'm not. So we kind of lower our own expectations of ourselves,
1: you know, unfortunately, when it comes to the sport, body dysmorphia runs rampant in general, and it's only fueled by anything it could possibly be fueled by. And seeing people who have enhanced their frame beyond, like, the human genome, seeing these images is just going to skew your own personal image of yourself. Like, it is, it's, it's probably going to happen.
0: But here's what, I, here's what I think, and here's what I see. Uh, those non-natty witch hunts is this person using? Is this person using? There's a whole freaking website, nattyornot.com, where they post pictures of people and people vote on whether they think that person's natural or not. And it's ridiculous because there are a lot of people being called out as steroid users who are not steroid users. Like their physique is totally achievable. So I think that yes, you need to understand that there are a lot of people using a lot of stuff and that's fine, but there are a lot of people who look really, really damn good naturally, like incredibly impressive physiques that are natural. And this is why I come back to that statement that I said a while ago, like you never know, you never know, Um, so you need to stop placing those limitations in your own head like yes you want to be realistic but maybe be like a little unrealistic like maybe shoot for a physique that's a little bit out of your league like you need to keep pushing yourself once you settle for this idea that like I'm never going to be able to do that well then you're never going to be able to do that like Whatever you think you're going to be capable of doing, whatever limitations you set in your own mind, are going to become reality. If you think you're never going to exceed this physique, I promise you, you're never going to exceed that physique. Do you know what I mean?
1: I I do, and I think this is where my opinion of bodybuilding as an individual sport comes from. Because as much as it is a competitive sport where you go head to head with others, it is ultimately a race against yourself, basically, and figuring out how you, become, you can become the best possible version of yourself. Here are the facts. Whether you're pushing yourself beyond your genetic limitations or whether you're, looking, whether you're seeing what you can do to maximize your body within your genetic limitations, they're still your genetics. And everybody's genetics are different. Everybody's skeletal frame is different. Everybody's propensity to build muscle, muscle insertion points, aesthetics are very individual onto yourself. And no amount of steroids and or lack thereof, no amount of like training for the next 30, 40 years is going to make you look like somebody else. You're going to look like yourself no matter what. You're going to look like the most enhanced, best version of yourself over time. And that's when That's why I think the focus ultimately has to just be on you and where you can take your own body and realize that you can actually change it a whole hell of a lot.
0: Yeah, so what Giacomo meant by like steroids aren't gonna change you, obviously they're gonna change you, but if you have a blocky frame and like not the greatest shape and you think you're gonna take steroids and suddenly look like you have a perfect X frame, no, no, you're just going to be bigger with a blocky shape. So like genetics plays a huge role. And I've seen many, many women, many, many women decide to go the drug enhanced route and all they've done is taken their um, perceived flaws. You know, let's say they had a a thick waist. Let's use that as an example, because that's a big one. If you have a thick waist and you start taking steroids and you don't change the way you're training significantly, that waist is only gonna get thicker. Like you're not making muscles smaller by taking steroids. So if you have an off shape and you take drugs, you're just gonna have an off shape and be bigger. Um, But to the point, like, I just feel like we come to the realization that people are, that a lot of people that we looked up to are using some kind of drug and we, it's kind of like finding out Santa Claus isn't real and you just kind of throw in the towel and you stop trying as hard because you just feel like, well, what's the point anyway? I'm not going to get to this place. And I feel like this is a relatively new phenomenon, like in the past 10 years or so. People didn't look at Arnold in the 70s and say, well, he's taking drugs, so why am I even going to bother? They just went and trained as hard as they freaking could like Arnold even though they were probably never going to look like Arnold. Nobody looks like Arnold. Um, but they used it to motivate themselves. And I actually think that that is better than being like, well, I can't do it. And just stopping. And uh, Eric Helms has been on a tear lately mm-hmm. on the Instagrams. And I would, dude, go look at that. Go to his page.
1: Helms3DMJ,
0: And scroll through his feed until you see black and white photos of people, like jacked people. And he is finding all of these athletes from like the 1800s and early 1900s who could walk into a world competition today and rank. And the purpose of this is testosterone wasn't even discovered until 1935 anabolic hormones weren't even a dream until 1955 and were not even being used outside of Russia until 1965. So if you want to get an idea of what is achievable without steroids, because steroids weren't even a twinkle in someone's eye at that point, look at the athletes from 1950 and earlier. Men, women performing incredible feats of strength, with incredible muscularity and leanness, and steroids weren't even a thing. Testosterone wasn't even known about it, wasn't even known about at that point. So a lot of the limitations of this oh are they natty or are they not? We
1: don't know. True story. I've been into fitness for 20 almost 25 years, and it shocked me to see some of the athletes. Like an in depth research abstract of athletes from the 1930s and what they were capable of. i like, holy crap. Like, even me to this day did not realize just the, the kind of feats from an era where it could literally be proven, like, hey, there's no, like, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they, they couldn't have used, there was an existence. I was like, whoa. So that was definitely inspiring for me.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you didn't even realize that you were starting to fall into that trap of anytime you see somebody who looks real good or is really strong, just immediately think, oh, well, they must be using something. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap. And when we do that, we, all we do, all we do by looking at other people and just a knee jerk reaction of like, oh, they're using, all we do is set limitations on ourselves by doing that. It doesn't hurt the other person. They're clearly thriving without your opinion. All it does is make us put ourselves down in our own minds. And, you know, it's like, we're trying to bolster ourselves up by putting someone else down and saying like, well, they only achieved that because of drugs. And, uh, it's not true because I've seen people use drugs and achieve mediocre physiques and strength at best. The hard work that gets put in does matter. Like it matters. I'm not saying it's the only thing that matters, as proven by that study we've talked about before where they split 40 men up, and they had 10 men sit on the couch and do nothing. They had 10 men go to the gym and train. They had 10 men sit on the couch and get steroid injections, but not lift. And then they had 10 men go to the gym and lift and get steroid injections. And the men sitting on the couch, getting the injections, built Twice as much muscle as the men not getting injections and going to the gym.
1: That just that pisses me
0: off. Right. I so, can't, I like, can't listen to this. That. This is why I'm saying, like, steroids. <laughs> it's not an easy conversation no. because there's no question. Like, holy shit, I can sit on my ass and get a shot and build more muscle than I'm getting busting my butt in the gym every single day. Like, ugh. Man, that's a little deflating when you think about it, isn't it? But that still doesn't mean that you're not capable of incredible things without taking substances. Like, there's a reason that Giacomo and I have chosen to be natural athletes and not go that other route. There are a lot of reasons why somebody would choose to stay natural instead of taking the performance-enhancing drug route. And you know, that decision is up to each individual. And I've had conversations with clients who have decided, hey, I think I'm going to give this non-natural route a shot. And, you know, that's more power to them. That's their own decision. Obviously, I can't coach them anymore because I don't know anything about that. But, you know, I respect everybody's decision to do what they want. But, you know, obviously... I believe that the body is capable of some really impressive things without performance enhancing drugs, or I wouldn't have uh, chosen this more challenging route. But a lot of it, for me anyway, is because it's a more challenging route that I enjoy it. It's like a puzzle. When you're taking steroids, you can do every, I mean, you can do almost everything wrong. Like, like I just said, you could sit at home on the couch and eat ice cream and build muscle. You don't have those luxuries as a natural athlete. Your nutrition better be on point. Your training better be on point. Your recovery better be on point because there's nothing else helping you. It's, a, it's like a logic puzzle that you have to put together and then back that shit with really hard work every single day. And to me, that's just way more rewarding personally. Tell, tell us about um, your brush with pro-hormones back when they were legal.
1: Huh. Well, for one, I guess I didn't even realize necessarily what I was taking, but let's see, I was, I want to say 18 or 19 years old, somewhere around that time, and pro-hormones had just hit the scene on the supplement market, and they were like, you know, this is a way to like get some crazy results, and this is totally legal and legit, and you could compete in natural bodybuilding and take pro-hormones. It was considered, you were considered natural. And uh, I did, I did one 30-day cycle of pro-hormones. What are pro-hormones? Pro-hormones are basically a precursor to testosterone. So in other words, you ingest this substance, and because you're ingesting, it has to metabolize, and so you don't get a whole lot of it, but you do get some conversion to testosterone after you ingest the pro-hormones.
0: So so it's kind of like 5-HTP is to
1: serotonin, right? Sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. And basically I did one, I did one 30 day, uh, I guess we'll, we'll call it a cycle of them or, you know, whatever they were. And, uh, man, I, I, I know my bones grew, my bones grew. And, uh, and then I, and then at that point I was excited and I I had taken, I started taking another one. I think I was like 14 days in and I'm like, this shit ain't right. Like there's something wrong here, and I'm not gonna keep doing this. I had a friend of mine who took them, and they got a little bit of uh, gynomastia on their chest. Mm. And I'm like, what the hell is in this sauce? <laughs> and I, at that point, I'm like, this is obviously like it's legit as far as like bodybuilding is concerned, like natural bodybuilders are using it, and I want to be on the same level playing field as them when I compete in my first show because I was I was getting close to my first show. And I, I just made the executive decision, like, well, if this, if this stuff is making my bones grow, it, can, it can't be good for me. Or, or at least it can't be considered natural, not and, in my mind.
0: And how long was it after that before they were banned?
1: <laughs> not very long, but a year afterwards. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, that's, that's another good point is, like, you can walk into GNC or vitamin shop and walk out with banned substances. Like, just because something is a banned substance doesn't mean that it's illegal. Not every banned substance is illegal. A lot of banned substances are in pre-workouts. They're in recovery formulas. So, like, you really do need to check out the ingredient list when you buy stuff. If you're planning on competing and, you know, putting it side by side with the banned substance list. Because, you know, that little story might have made somebody think, like, oh, Giacomo did steroids. (laughs) But, like, back in the day, those pro-hormones were, like, you could buy them off the shelf like a multivitamin. Mm. And it was perfectly legal Within natural bodybuilding and many many bodybuilders from that era, everybody did them until they were banned.
1: You know? Not everyone, but many did.
0: Right, um, and as it stands right now, perhaps there's stuff that we take that isn't banned that will eventually be banned. Like that's kind of part of the game is you have to keep up with the banned substance list and you know make sure you st- new stuff gets added to that list. Every day,
1: I think there's some stuff that had that hadn't been banned yet that we were like looking at ourselves because like, hey, we you know we're in this natural bodybuilding playing field, but we I think we made the ex- decision that we didn't want to take it.
0: Right, because sometimes when something does get banned, what's a good example of something that was banned not that long ago? Same. It was um oh uh the stuff that Billy got that I was like, what are you getting?
1: Oh, DHEA. DHEA. Yeah. That was just banned. Was it?
0: Just a couple years I ago. Thought I thought it was always
1: banned. I don't think so. I think certain organizations banned it, certain didn't, and then WADA, the World Doping, uh, World Anti-Doping Association, considered it like blanket statement, like, hey, this this stuff is banned, and then every national organization banned it, because there's some of that gray area where things are about to get banned, and some organizations jump on the you know jump on it sooner rather than later, uh, and then eventually they all ban it.
0: When the when uh, they do ban a substance, they usually give a grace period, like you can't have used it in mo- like the last six months or a year or two years or three years um but most most natural bodybuilding organizations have a clean for seven years and that's a a long time however that recent study just came out that said that if you have done anabolic hormones at any point in your life it does give you an edge for the rest of your life which a lot of the arguments have been like if you stop taking a hormone then you lose all of your muscle right? Which to the most part is true. You will lose a lot of muscle when you stop taking steroids, but you're not going to lose your bones, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Uh, you're not going to, and apparently there's something that happens on a cellular level that's sort of like how we talk about muscle memory. Like you're more likely to build that muscle back without the steroids going forward. So yeah, that's a, that's a brand new study and I haven't totally digested it yet, but Uh, I'll find it and I'll link it in the show notes. It is interesting.
1: You can build satellite cells and you have a certain period of time in which to build them and those cells like surround the muscle and they tell the muscle like, hey, we can grow to a certain size. And if you're able to synthesize protein a lot faster and you're able to grow muscle at a lot faster rate during the period of time where your body's able to grow satellite cells, you can grow a lot more than someone else. So yeah, like your muscles may not be overly enlarged anymore because you can't recover as fast and synthesize protein as fast, but you still have the propensity to build more muscle than had you not taken steroids, and also obviously your bones are bigger, so they'll just look more aesthetically pleasing on your frame overall, even though they won't be as large. Your muscle bellies won't be as large when you're natural.
0: So we got some questions when we posted that we were going to do this episode in the Muscles by Brussels group. Um, some of the questions we have answered just by way of this conversation, but I do want to cover some of the ones that we haven't. Um, Ken, I believe we answered those questions. Jennifer, I'm pretty sure we answered her question. Jeff, okay. So, Jeff Palmer, owner of Clean Machine Supplements, who is a lifelong natural and has been vegan for over 40 years, I think. Um, which is super impressive. And he's one of, he has one of the most impressive physiques that I know. And uh, obviously a clean machine is one of the handful of companies that we back 100%. Um, He asked, if someone chooses to take performance enhancing drugs, are they aware of the side effects and do they use any products to counter the side effects?
1: I'm so glad he asked that question because like I I have been wanting to interject here while we go through this podcast, it would be irresponsible of us to not, I mean, no, we don't know just how bad the side effects are from steroids because we've, haven't done the research because we don't coach people who use them and we don't use them ourselves. But it would be very irresponsible and foolish of us and naive of us if we did not talk about the, the obvious health risks to taking steroids. So steroids, you know, they grow your muscles, which is cool, right? But they don't just grow your bones and your muscle bellies. There are other muscles in your body that steroids grow and it's proven that, for example, steroids grow your heart, and an enlarged heart is a precursor to heart disease, you know? You don't, um, I don't really understand why, I just know that it is bad. And uh, and I do know that it can increase your cholesterol, um, which is obviously not good, and uh, it's uh, obviously hard on your kidneys, and you know, you wanna keep your kidneys as healthy as possible, so if you're constantly taxing them to metabolize steroids, that can't be good, and you can You can grow tumors on your liver. Like, there's all sorts of side effects, more than just the superficial, like the acne and the change in mood from changing your hormonal profile. Also, here's one other thing that I think is very important to note. If, like anything else, your body knows how to manufacture hormones and regulate them on their own, your endocrine system functions the way that it does. If you take steroids a handful of times, even like, you know, two, three, four months in a row, like, you are at risk of your body never being able to properly produce testosterone again, thus putting you in a position where 10 years down the road, you may be forced to tell your doctor like, hey, I need testosterone replacement therapy because I have like a poor libido. And it's because you took steroids earlier in life and now you're basically forced. Well, a lot of times
0: when you take testosterone, as a man, when you take testosterone, your body tries to sort of counter that by producing more estrogen to keep those in balance. So then you're producing excess estrogen, and should you stop taking that testosterone, then you're kind of estrogen dominant, and that's mm. where a lot of that gyno comes from, and a lot of other hormonal problems. So, you know, like Giacomo just said, we only halfway know what we're talking about here. This is not something we have studied in depth, um, But in my limited research, it seems like do people know about the side effects? I think it really runs the gamut. Some people, have coaches who have no frickin' business being coaches, who just suggest drugs to their clients, male, female, new, advanced, doesn't matter, like their candy in replace of actual knowledge about Mm. training and nutrition. So those people probably have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And it runs all the way up to people who know exactly what they're getting themselves into and taking all sorts of supplements to sort of counter the effects of... The steroids and to support their endocrine system, support their liver function. So, I mean, there are people who know what they're doing, and there are people who don't know what they're doing. Are there still risks to the people that know what they're doing? Probably. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they really do have it figured out. I don't know. Um, but I know that there are people all over the place. There are people hurting themselves tremendously, and there are people who seem to be thriving. Uh, I think you need a lot of money to be the person who's thriving a lot of money because those supplements, you need to take a ton of them and they are not cheap. And we have both heard stories of people spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on their stack and their supplements to support their stack.
1: And yeah, I'm sure ultimately you can limit the risks, but you know, when your heart grows, your heart grows. But there are, you know, and
0: the next question Jeff had, Is besides steroids, do they use any other drugs like HGH, insulin, etc. for additional growth and or drugs for shedding fat like thyroid drugs, clenbuterol, and DNP? Uh, Yeah, so we have just kind of been lumping them all together here in terms of performance enhancing drugs. And like I said, the list is hundreds of items long. But I think that what I have seen is that there are more women abusing the fat burners. The thyroid medication, which I was just talking to a client last night, that thyroid medication is not something you would think is being abused by female competitors. But I, at 130 pounds, could walk into my doctors and probably be like, I think I have a sluggish thyroid. And And they would prescribe me hypothyroid medication to speed up my thyroid. And I guarantee you I would drop more body fat that way. So, I mean, that's a doctor writing a prescription for me that is definitely performance enhancing and I would be using it as such. I'm not saying if you take a hypothyroid medication because you have hypothyroid conditions that that is um, illegal in natural competitions. As long as you are taking something for not for the purpose of bodybuilding, it's allowed. So like that client I had that failed the drug test because of the acne medication, once she proved that she was taking it for acne, she was able to she was able to keep her trophy. Um, but you know, where do you draw the line? Who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth? You don't know. So we have these polygraph tests in place to try and weed the liars out. But as I'm sure many of you know, I'm sure it's possible to falsely pass a polygraph. I don't know how. Because mm. I go in there telling the truth and I'm sweating from every orifice and like nervous and stuttering. So I don't know. But yeah, there are, I, I assume that if somebody is taking a cycle of something that they're probably open to taking cycles of all kinds of things and using all kinds of um, enhancements to help them get to where they need to be.
1: Well, that's kind of an interesting topic that I've seen within the the culture of steroid users is like. You can get to the point where it becomes a, a lazy person sport, so to speak, like where you could diet down hard or you could take this fat burner. Which one are you going to do? And there are some people that actually like there's levels on, of this shit, right? Yeah. Like You have people who use steroids that still do the hard work and other people who use steroids and also use steroids in replacement of the hard work.
0: But now, that DNP, isn't that the shit that melts you from the inside? <sighs> yes. Is that it?
1: It's, then you can't do anything about it. You, you, you're dead. Once your insides are heating up, you're in the hospital dying and there's no way to save you. Ugh. And that was literally just because you were too lazy to diet, or that you basically wanted a, the fast track to diet, Or in. that
0: you had a coach that told you to take something and you just didn't know any better. Unreal. These coaches, ooh. <laughs> they make me so mad. And then Jeff's big question, and this I think is the toughest question, is how do you respond to those accusing true natties of drug use, especially when we are dieting and under 7% body fat. Funny how so many people accuse me of juicing when I'm cutting. I think it's so rare to see someone contest ready. The assumption is the only way you can get that lean is by using drugs. This I think is the hardest possible scenario. And I think I've only been accused of using steroids like twice in my whole life. And it was like the happiest moment. Like, as a natural competitor, when you get accused of using steroids, like
1: it feels so good. Well, I know I want to be accused, I don't think I ever have been. I'm kinda of sad about this. Somebody well, tell me.
0: We <laughs> we have been by proxy by being in a couple of those videos. Sure. Okay. Um
1: I'll take it. <laughs>
0: no one said, Oh Danny and Giacomo are on drugs, like but they were like, Everybody in the video's on drugs and I was like, Yay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um But I think that something, like, you want to counter these arguments kind of with facts. And a lot of times people don't realize when they see pictures of natural bodybuilders because they look so big and so shredded. Um, They look larger than life in photos. But in person, we're usually not that big. People are usually quite surprised to see how small some of us are. And that's kind of sad. But it's the truth. Like... To see a natural bodybuilder step on stage at 200 pounds or above is obscenely rare, Mm -hmm. obscenely rare. I think the most famous natural bodybuilder ever is Doug Miller. And I want to say he steps on stage in the 190s, which is huge for a natural
1: bodybuilder. Low 190s at best.
0: My own coach literally looks like an alien by the time he steps on stage. And I think he stepped on stage at like 155 (laughs) this year. Uh, Tori Washington steps on stage in between 140 and 150, I believe. Um, Myself, I step on stage at 120. Giacomo steps on stage at 170. Ish. Around there, yeah. I mean, the point is, in pictures, we look enormous. In real life, we're really not that big. So letting people know that when they accuse you, um, especially online, usually is enough to make people be like, oh, never mind. <laughs> if it's in person, or if somebody continues to, like, combat that logic, you're not going to win this fight. They've already made up their mind. And they're... Accusation honestly says more about them than it says about you, which brings me back to my earlier point, don't be that person. Don't be that person that's accusing everyone under the sun of taking steroids when you don't know. I'm not saying don't be skeptical. Don't, you know, use your own knowledge in the back of your mind to be like, "I don't know, but what good does it do? What good does it do to throw those accusations around? Who does it help?" Like I don't really think it helps anybody. I think more knowledge about like what is and isn't possible, how much muscle can you actually gain in a certain amount of time, how much fat can you actually lose in a certain amount of time, how much fat-free mass can a person have, generally speaking. Learning these things is gonna be super helpful to you. And then when you meet that noob with the stars in their eyes that thinks they're gonna be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can gently, gently explain to them you know, some rough guidelines of what is and isn't possible while still encouraging them to, like, shoot for the goddamn stars.
1: There are people that literally get into bodybuilding that haven't understood yet that think they can make it to the Olympic stage. I've, I've met them. I've spoken to them. It's, it's, yeah, and you gotta, <clears throat> you know, it's like you don't want to, like, shoot down someone's dreams, but you also, you know, you hate to see someone be so unrealistic because you know they're eventually going to get hurt once they figure it out.
0: But... Let them, let them come around to it. I mean, I never thought I was going to step on the Olympia stage, but I definitely thought that Nicole Wilkins physique was attainable for me and that I pushed. And you know Mm. what? In those periods, I learned how to push myself and I learned how to work really goddamn hard because she worked really goddamn hard. And yeah, I mean, she had some help on the side that allowed her to push harder than I would ever be able to push, but I still wanted to try and keep up. And there's a lot of value in those periods of your life where you do push really, really hard trying to keep up with these superhumans. Yes. Eventually you need to kind of learn like, Hmm, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing for me to do. Maybe there are smarter ways for me to do this as a natural athlete. Um, and you know, then at least you have a foundation of really hard work. You know, so
1: I had a very good understanding at a young a young age on you know what was natural and what was not, and uh, and what motivated me was finding natural bodybuilding organizations back then, mm-hmm. and it just helped me push hard. And I honestly and truly thought that everyone that competed in natural organizations were lifetime natties, and that you know that uh, once that once that truth was brought to the surface and I realized that it wasn't really true, I kind of got discouraged a little bit. But, um, and I guess I should give you some context here. So you have to be drug free for seven years to compete in a natural organization. That means that you could theoretically have taken steroids for like three years in a row nonstop, then got off them for seven years, grown your frame to a very large size you know, and have the propensity to build more muscle naturally than someone else who would not take a steroids. And you can compete in a natural organization and go right to the top. And, uh, you know, knowing that and knowing that that is my playing field and all I have... Like, what do you do for those people? I guess the way that I I uh, I rationalize it well is like, well, if someone chooses, if someone's done steroids and they want to still compete and now they choose to be natural, like, who's to say that they can't compete? Like, you know, why why am I... Why am I placing that kind of limitations on them? And honestly, it, it, at this point, it hasn't really deterred me from trying my hardest to work my way, you know, to try to work my way to the top in national organizations. But it's, it's def- it was definitely eye-opening for me. I mean, how would you feel about that when you figured that out? Well, in
0: 2015, my last competition, I actually, I got creamed by somebody who had admitted that they had used stuff like a few years prior. So I don't even know how they ended up on the stage with me. I mean, luckily, I got third place at that show, mm. which is actually good, because if I had gotten second place, I would have been pretty crushed that I only got second place because one person who admitted to using drugs beat me.
1: And technically, they we were breaking the rules because it was a couple years and not seven years?
0: I don't, I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't know no, how it no. happened. It's, it's not my business, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I say this to all my clients, and I genuinely mean it. You can't control who shows up. You can't control who you're on the stage with. All you can do is be the best version of yourself that you can be. And you could show up to like a show two weeks in a row looking exactly the same in place completely different, just depending on who else shows up. But the point is like, yeah, you can... There have been shows where I look like the biggest girl on stage and it does not look good. And there have been shows where I've looked like a pipsqueak on stage and it doesn't look good. So, you know, you can't control who else shows up. Um, you can't control if someone who is not, you can't control if a cheater shows up on stage and you're competing against a cheater that day. Oh, well, like it sucks, but tis the nature of the sport, unfortunately. But to just look at somebody who looks better than you and immediately think they must be taking steroids just says that you have imposed limitations upon yourself, not the other way around. Your accusation of somebody else just makes you look small honest to God. And, you know, there are people I, and I've, I've done it. Giacomo's done it. We've all done it. And, um, over the past year or so I've just keep forcing myself to step back and be like, you know, my instinct is to be like, not natty. And then afterwards I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they really are like, maybe they're that good. And I find that that mindset, whether I'm right or wrong, that mindset of maybe they're that good motivates me a hell of a lot more than oh well they're juicing and I'll never be able to do that like that doesn't help them that doesn't help me that doesn't help anybody so you know use your own knowledge be skeptical but but continue continue to aim higher and continue to take the high road whenever you can and personally I think that's probably the best way to go Anything else you want to add?
1: No, I, I mean, yeah, we could talk about this for hours, and we probably will after this podcast, as we continue to do when it comes to all things fitness-related. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I feel like we've covered a, a fair amount of our thoughts on this subject, and obviously, this is an ongoing conversation, not just between us, but in the community. So, feel free to reach out to us, join the Muscles by Brussels Radio Group on Facebook, and we going to continue the conversation there you could send us email stay in touch with us on social media like we really like we like to continue to delve into these topics as they evolve and uh, and we love we'd love to hear your thoughts on it
0: okay so we have a couple questions here the first one is from our listener Dirk and he went in for surgery this week for a tibial shelf fracture so a fracture in his shin and he wants to know if we have any tips on recovery yeah and it may be sometime but creative creative ways of attempting not to lose too much muscle keep my cardio up and adjust my diet
1: so i don't exactly know what Dirk's limitations would be, I would assume that...
0: He can't put weight on that leg for a while.
1: Yeah, that's what I figured.
0: So this is a tough one if you can't bear any weight on your legs. Um, I mean, technically, you cannot bear weight on one leg, but um, a couple of things. My first recommendation would be stay on top of your diet. It is so easy to just be like, I'm injured, and like just let everything fall apart. And I say this as somebody who's been injured on and off for the last six months. But the tighter you stay to that diet, the better off you're going to be. So make sure you keep your protein up. That's gonna help limit the muscle loss from not training. Um, And also remember what I talked about way at the beginning of this podcast that sometimes it looks like you lost muscle, but you didn't. Um, You might've lost a little muscle, but it looks worse than it is. The muscle is just deflated and depleted of nutrients because you're not really using it. Um, So diet is the first
1: thing. Going on diet, you also don't want to necessarily be on a deficit or at maintenance. It helps to eat a little more. You recover faster when you have more nutrients. That's
0: a great point. Um, In terms of exercise for the lower body, this is tough. But what I would recommend is doing some BFR training for your legs. So you want to get knee wraps and occlude your upper thighs. So you Google occlusion training. And you're going to wrap your upper thighs at about 80% of the tightness of the band. So basically you're like tourniqueting your legs. Okay. And then sit on a chair and do leg extensions with just body weight, just straighten your leg and squeeze your quads and do, you know, traditionally BFR training is four sets of 30 reps on the first set, 15, 15, 15, and you rest 30 seconds in between each set and you keep the bands on the whole time. This type of training, uh, was originally utilized by the NFL, I believe, and popularized by Dr. Jeremy Lenneke. And it is a great way to drive a ton of blood and nutrients into the muscle with light loads. So it was originally used for injured NFL players so that they would not lose muscle mass, even when they were too injured to really weight train. So you can do this with seated leg extensions and then roll over onto your belly onto a floor or something and do lying leg curls just with your legs, no weights at all. If you really squeeze those muscles and you've occluded the tops of your legs, like right at the groin area, you are going to work those muscles and you could do that every other day until you're able to bear weight.
1: I also think it's important to find a licensed professional who knows how to prescribe a proper rehabilitation program for you. And uh, when it comes to physical therapy, you know not all of the therapists are geared towards athletes. And I think it's important if you're going to put your time and energy in something to find the right kind of therapist, there's a website called clinicalathlete.com and it's basically a directory of physical therapists that are, they've known to work well with athletes. Like they know how to rehab an athlete as opposed to someone who, you know, say hurt themselves on the job.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, for cardio, I would, there's a couple of things and you might not have access to them, but I'm going to put them out there anyway. Um, what I, I've been using this as like a warm up for my shoulder, but an ergometer, it's like an arm bike. It looks like a stationary bicycle, but the pedals are up at your shoulder height and you pedal it with your arms. It looks like the weirdest wimpiest machine ever. It's actually really hard. Another alternative is you could use like a rope pulley. So not every gym has these, but I've been seeing them more and more lately. It's like a never ending rope. So you sit down and you just keep pulling the rope down and it basically is in a loop and it keeps coming down. That's a great one as well. Alternatively, you could do upper body exercises in sets of like 60 seconds. So really, really light. It's not the greatest cardio comparatively, but it's certainly better than nothing if you don't have access to those.
1: But more than anything, just to circle back to what Danny was saying, I think mindset is everything. Anytime I could look back to a time that either one of us were injured, the longer that we were licking our wounds and thinking negatively like, Oh my God, why did this happen? What are we going to do now? The the more delayed of the, the longer it was going to take for us to recover and the more likely we are to, to like just veer completely off track and not do everything we can to fix it.
0: And I forgot swimming. I mean, that's the most obvious one. But uh, yeah, if you have access to a pool, that's great cardio too. Uh, next question is from Kelly and she says, Wondering what you guys think of raw diets in terms of health and body comp. Am I crazy or did Giacomo once compete as a raw bodybuilder? I'd be interested to hear his observations. It seems to me raw food diets are making a comeback both in the 80-10-10 variety and higher fat. Just wondering if you think they have any place in a bodybuilder's diet plan and how that might work. This one's all you, babe.
1: Mmm. This, uh, this question follows me over the years, huh?
0: <laughs> you did it to yourself.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the, I kind of got caught up in the culture way back in the day when I used to live in New York City, and there was like a pretty big raw food scene there. And, uh, you know, it was pretty socially, it wasn't socially inhibiting in New York City, because that was like, there was a decent scene for it. And then I moved away and I moved to Oregon, I realized like, wow, this is kind of like a, something that most people aren't doing, and I should really think about what I'm doing. Um, aside from it being socially in- inhibitive, while it was possible to bodybuild, on a raw food diet, I don't think it was optimal and I think it made the process far more complicated than it needed to be. And uh, I don't want to say it necessarily put me at a disadvantage, but it definitely made things very challenging, um, you know, as far as like balancing out the kind of foods that I needed to get in, preparing my foods, Um, yeah, it it just, I I don't feel like it's the, the most optimal way to bodybuild i think it's possible but i think you have to be really really strategic about the way you feed yourself
0: but you didn't do 80 10 10 or anything like that
1: no the 80 10 10 wasn't really a thing when i was doing it it came out like right when i was on the cusp of transitioning over like but
0: how do do you think you would have done as a bodybuilder if you were doing 80 10 10
1: oh bad (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Protein is super important for bodybuilding and on a caloric surplus, and for someone who has a, a very fast metabolism, you may be able to get in enough protein to meet your requirements to, to build and r- muscle and to recover quickly from workouts. Um, but if you are not blessed with a super fast metabolism and if you're dieting down on top of that, chances are you're not going to be consuming the optimal amount of protein not for health but for uh, to be a high performing athlete whose go- number one goal is muscle hypertrophy
0: and just like 80 10 10 we've talked about before the percentage breakdowns are super super misleading if you're a small woman and you're eating 1,400 calories and getting 10% of your calories from fats, that's like 15 grams of fat. That's not enough for health. Um, That's like 30 grams of protein. That doesn't even scratch the surface of what you would need for bodybuilding. Um, And it's low for health, too. So, I mean, the number of calories is really what matters. In terms of like, what does 80 10 10 mean? Because if you're eating 4,000 calories, it's a totally different story. So anything that's like spouts a percentage based diet, I tend to think um, is kind of not great. And the people who promote it tend to not often uh, know what they're talking about. Is 80
1: really making a comeback? I hope not. Why in the world would anyone want to limit themselves to eating only carbohydrates to, to the detriment of their health? I don't get it.
0: Uh, I mean, there are higher fat versions of it. But ultimately, I think that at, since you are the only, that I know of anyway, to this day, competitive raw vegan bodybuilder that has ever existed. Yes, it's 10 years later. You would assume that you would look better now than you did 10 years ago but the difference from your last competition as a raw vegan and your first competition as a cooked vegan is like night and day. That alone, I think, is very, very telling.
1: Yeah, I mean, the truth of it is that I obviously learned a lot more about nutrition in general, but of course, as I learned more about nutrition, I realized that doing it that way wasn't necessarily the, the smartest way to do it either. All right, everybody, that concludes another episode of Vegan Protein's Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to keep this conversation going with us on the social medias at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels, especially in our Facebook group, Muscles by Brussels Radio. You can type that in the search bar and find us. Also, we have finally taken the plunge and by we, I mean Danny, I actually have not been brave enough to put myself on video yet, but Danny has been making some very, very cool videos and talking about a lot of stuff on the YouTube. So you can feel free to go to YouTube and search for vegan proteins and hit the subscribe button and you'll be up to date with all of the videos that Danny's putting out there and hopefully you'll see some of me out there too in the near future. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, my name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And we'll see you soon.